Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest um, Extra Time uh, Special Edition in the wake of the FA Cup Final. And uh, I'm, I'm John Cross uh, from Daily Mirror. I'm delighted to be joined by Gordon Blackwell. I have a special look back upon what a glorious day it was at Wembley, wasn't it, Jordan? An absolutely astonishing day. Uh, Leicester, first FA Cup Final um, victory in their history, in the club's history. I mean, five years on from that magnificent Premier League title triumph. I mean, what a glorious celebration. You have to say, you know, they were underdogs. So it was a magnificent victory from that perspective to beat Chelsea. But my word, they deserved it. It was a glorious day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was the the day that uh, certainly for a lot of fans, it's the, it was the day that they'd been waiting for, I think, with the, with the title win. I think that was, I mean, that was so unexpected. I don't think there was ever really a... Uh, a dream that Leicester could win the title previous to that the dream was always the FA Cup obviously they had this record of playing in four finals in the three of them in the 60s and then going so long without making it to the uh, making it to the sort of the showpiece occasion um so to to end that wait for fans to get back in uh for the first time in 14 months to see uh, an amazing goal as well uh and, and finally get their hands on the trophy yes it was um it was it was just about perfect for Leicester. Yeah. Do, do you know what struck me afterwards was was the, you know, there was a few questions, wasn't there, to to Brendan Rodgers about kind of was it a dream come true? This kind of Leicester fairy tale, which I guess it was to a degree, but I actually kind of take the the, the different view is that Leicester now are such a well run club, such a go forward club, that I I don't think it should be considered so much of a surprise anymore. I feel that's a little bit patronising, a little bit wrong to put them into that category. They are, in my view, one of the big boys. They've got this an amazing opportunity. Do they now firmly belong in the Premier League elite, do you think? I, I think, well, Rogers quite often makes the point about that because of the, the revenue and that side of things, they can't, in terms of when we talk about the big six, they can't really be considered in that bracket because that's kind of down to the, to the money that those clubs make and, and Leicester don't quite match up to that. Um, but I think in terms of everything else, they are at an elite level in terms of the recruitment, in terms of the organisation of the club, the way everybody works together from kind of the boardroom down through the staff to the players, um, the the coaching certainly under Rogers. You would say that everything other than the revenue is at the top level. There is first rate. And I think that's what's propelled them. I think in terms of if you were to say that they are going to be one of the consistent top six, I think you probably do start need to start winning trophies um, almost just to prove yourself because they are kind of still kind of the new boys. I think obviously they dropped off a little bit after the, um, after the title win. Uh, so to get back up there and prove themselves again, they've now got a trophy to show for that. Uh, and I think that that'll be the plan now to, to kind of stay up there in, in terms of the table and also get to finals more regularly. That's what, what, size of achievement would it be if Leicester haven't already won the FA Cup then cement a place in, in the top four I mean you know for Brendan Rodgers having just missed out on the Champions play, place last season which was heartbreaking you know largely down to injuries wasn't it I would argue what an achievement that would be for, for the football club Yeah I think it's I would say this is already the second best season in Leicester's history no matter what happens over the, the final two games of the season but I think certainly that would cement it uh, I don't think it can be uh, underestimated how big an achievement it would be, given that they'll have to, you know, to get into the the top four, they have to finish 
uh, above at least three of the of the so-called big six. They've already confirmed to finish above uh, two of them in Arsenal and, and Spurs, but obviously there's a uh, they need to finish above Chelsea or, or, or Liverpool yet. But um, yes, it would be it would be an amazing achievement. I think it would be um, a real boost for the players in terms of because of missing out last season. I think that that could have had a, a blow, you know, a, you know, a psychological blow to them mm-hmm. in terms of they may have thought that an, an opportunity like that may not have come around so regularly uh, and that they may have thought they'd, they'd blown their best chance to get back into the Champions League, particularly for the older players like maybe like Vardy and Schmeichel who, uh, you know, they're, they're 33, 34 now. So it, opportunities to play in the Champions League again um, weren't going to be so regular. So I think that it would be a huge achievement. It would be um, amazing for the club in terms of what they could then do with the finances that that brings. We already know how good they are in terms of recruitment, but they are limited a little bit in terms of how much they can spend. Uh, but obviously, the the financial boost that you get from being in the Champions League, they could really um, they could really go all out this summer and really then build a squad that could then compete in the top four, hopefully for uh, a few years to come. It was one of their big, you could say, clever recruits, wasn't it? Yuri Tillman with the winning goal. I mean, he sort of kind of typifies the Leicester way, I, I guess, of it. You know, he's kind of, I wouldn't say a risk, a gamble, but he was a big money move, wasn't he? And that they pounced while others dithered. You know, I think people knew of his quality, but it was Leicester, you know, really proactive. And, you know, that that goal just typifies what a fantastic, exciting player he is, doesn't it? Yeah, I think... Uh... I think we we say about the the, the idea of a, a jack of all trades, master of none. But he's I would say he's probably a master of everything. He's he's <laughs> there isn't anything he can't do. Um, I think we saw. I think over the course of the season, we've seen. Um, I think certainly that his passing ability is what's probably take uh, you know caught the eye most often. But I think at Wembley on Saturday we saw. I mean, even before the goal, we saw him put in a few big tackles. I think one in his own box. There was one where Werner was breaking down the left, and he just sort of stepped across with authority and stole the ball off him. Um, and then to to produce a goal like that, uh, yeah, I think it. I, I don't think it's something Leicester fans had seen from Tiedemans that often. I think maybe when Leicester signed him, they, and they saw the the kind of the YouTube highlights, and they saw what he was doing at Anderlecht, and he was scoring a few from range there. I think Leicester fans maybe thought that he had one in his locker. But that's the first time in a couple of years that he has scored a goal like that. But yeah, he's, he's, he's an incredible player. Rogers calls him um, his brain of the team, his coach on the pitch. He's described him as. Um, you know, he's only 20, he's only just turned twenty four, but he's a, an extremely clever footballer. Uh, obviously, he's been playing regularly since he was sixteen. So he's only, although he is only twenty four, he does have eight years' experience at the, at the very top level. So uh, no, he's an extremely good player, and I'd argue he could probably play for most clubs uh, in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few other guys that really caught the eye. Um, you know, Saturday. Um, before we look at a sort of a couple of well-known ones, I mean, Wesley Fofana. You know, with his performance absolutely outstanding. He pushed sort of kind of the likes of Tillemans and Schmeichel hard, really. Whoever you consider as man of the match, he was he was terrific, wasn't he? Again, another shrewd signing was. Yeah, I think that's the that's the sort of signing that Leicester have become known for. In that, I think he'd only played about maybe thirty senior games before Leicester signed him and. I mean, they spent 30, more than thirty million pounds on him, which, for a player that has played that little, it is a, you know, it is a bit of a gamble. But as with all Leicester's gambles of late in the transfer market, it's been a successful one. Um, he's only twenty, and yet there doesn't seem to be any kind of defensive aspect that he, he he can't do. I think there was a 
um, certainly on the ball. He's very positive. He's very proactive in the way he comes out with it. I think that we saw that he, he times his, his interceptions and tackles, right? I think he made a couple of key blocks as well uh, on shots. And I think um, even when Johnny Evans went off and he had to move into that, the middle of the back three and all, all of a sudden he's got maybe, uh, uh, you know, a, there's a more responsibility for him in terms of organisation and, and leadership and communication and things like that. And he stepped into that as well. So, uh, you know he's an extremely impressive player, and you'd argue that the uh, you know the sky's the the sky's the limit for him. Yeah, I got into a little discussion actually on, on Twitter with a couple of people just about Casper Schmeichel. There's sort of I think apparently Ashley Cole in in the TV uh, coverage said he was he was an underrated goalkeeper, which I have to say I took ridiculous exception to <laughs> because who who, who says so? I mean, everyone knows that he's one of the best goalkeepers in in the Premier League, don't they? I have to say, maybe he's not quite as good as he was almost, you know, because he's just in those years. But he's still one of Leicester's most reliable players. And he's in the top, you know, he's in the top four team at the moment. And it's just, well, he's magnificent. That save was, you know, was right out of the top door, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, um, no, it was incredible. And I think that's what he is uh, capable of. I think in terms of his... In terms of comparing him to, to other top-level keepers, he, he never, ever makes a mistake, uh, mm. which I think is probably almost his biggest attribute. Occasionally, you see the top keepers you know, fluff their lines a little bit, even if they do pull off top saves, but it never happens with Schmeichel. And then he can pull off saves um, like the one he did for Mount. I think it was a, it was a nice contrast in terms of the, the save he made just before from the Chilwell header, where that was kind of about being positioned in the right place and agility to get down. Whereas the the shot from the, uh, the shot from Mount was all about reactions and, you know, making sure he had a, a strong enough wrist to, to tip it around the post as well. So, you know, he's been, um, he's been incredibly impressive. I think particularly over the past 12 months as well, we've seen how big a, a role he has in terms of leadership, because I think in, in silent stadiums, as it has been with, with, you know, behind closed doors, you do hear him shouting all the time. Uh, and while a lot of it's aimed at the referee, it's, um, there's quite a lot of encouragement to his teammates as well and organisation and things like that. So he's been a, um, he's been a, a huge uh, character and a, a huge person for, for Leicester in terms of um, you know, leading the team as well as his, with his performances on the pitch. Jamie, Jamie Vard is an interesting one, isn't he? Because he created some history, um, you know, becoming, I think, the, the, the first player to play in every round of FA Cup in, in the competition's history. Um, and then obviously winning it. Um, he, uh, I mean, he, he doesn't score as much as he did, as he did, but he's still such an important pivotal player in in that team, isn't he? Really? And what does he offer in, in dressing room as as a kind of a senior figure, as a leader now, as an inspiration to younger players? Well, I think uh, I think if you spoke to the to the younger players, they'd they'd talk about how funny he is. Uh, mm. I think that's. I think possibly in terms of the older uh, the older players, it's probably the um, Schmeichel and and Wes Morgan that are the more serious players, and and Vardy's the the joker. But I think the fact that he does, um, the fact that he is still playing at the highest level for a striker at his age, I don't. It's not too um, common for a you know for an elite level striker to be playing as well as they are at thirty four years old. Um, I think that that will be an inspiration to um, a lot of the younger players at Leicester. I think he's is probably the way he's adapted to a different role over the past few months as well. It will be a um, something to praise him for because he was 
Leicester's main man in terms of he was a he was a lone striker essentially, and he was the man they looked to score the goals. Since Harvey Barnes's injury and Leicester have kind of switched formations, he's played alongside Kelechi Inacho and he's he's changed his game. He's he's kind of mm. drifted left. He's you know sort of tried to get him in round the back and he's helped create chances for Inacho. He's obviously gone on this um, incredible scoring run. So I think the way Vardy is even at his age is still adapting and still being able to play different roles uh, and make valuable contributions is um is a testament to to how um you know how elite he is. Yeah, no, it was, it was an amazing story. The, the flip side of this is obviously Chelsea were favourites. I, I guess I've probably seen more 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 than you, and it, you know I, I've got to say I was surprised. I did think Chelsea would win actually, so I do think it was um, you know from surprising from that point of view, just because I think Thomas Tuchel was coming and giving them so much energy and so much uh, uh, you know drive since the end of January when he came in it's only only just over 100 days since he took charge and uh, I think the um, that you know defeat was what was in I think it's just uh, I, I think um, was it four or five now defeats in what 26 27 games um, which is you know going some isn't it when you're talking about the business end of the season was there, did did Chelsea surprise you that basically I, I I thought maybe they edged it first half and then basically Leicester, I would say, were, were the much the better team, if you like, second half. And I don't think anyone could argue that Leicester deserved their victory. You know, Tuchel basically said afterwards that, you know, he thought he couldn't criticise his team. I guess if he's doing that, he maybe thought his team were, were a bit unlucky. You know, perhaps they deserved more. Um, you know, they so nearly got back into it, didn't they? Sort of kind of with that VAR decision, which I know divides people. But I have to say, what is the point of having VAR if you're not going to get, you know, decisions down to, to correct, down to, to the millimetres? I never thought I'd, I'd be in an age where basically football fans get annoyed when decisions are correct. It's just astonishing. I know, I know kind of, you know, everyone sort of has their sort of highs and lows with VAR and probably, you know, Leicester and Chelsea between them have both had sort of kind of upsets and sort of gripes and groans. But when you are talking about something being actually factually correct, i.e. Ben Chilwell's offside, it, it really, you know, it's bizarre, isn't it? I, I think, am I reading that wrong? No, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I do think that I'm, I'm a... Basically, I think when VAR came in, I was kind of of the opinion that, okay, well, at least this, my sort of pet peeve with football was that after the game, the the big talking points would be the decisions when really what, you know, what I'd like to see people talking about in terms of the, you know, the pundits or the fans or whoever was talking about actual aspects of the game where players have shown real quality or tactical kind of ideas. And instead we were obsessing over referees decisions. I thought it would get beyond that. It's not really been the case because now we just talk about VAR decisions. But I think it's, uh, I, th- I think the only legitimate compa- complaint is the way it um, maybe pauses the emotion in the game in terms of you can't, mm. maybe fans feel they can't celebrate as they would want because there's a worry that it's then going to be, the decision is going to be reversed. I think that's the only way you could argue against it in terms of the game. But in terms of the, Getting decisions right, we have, I mean, we have seen an improvement in terms of the number of decisions um, that have been correct. So, and I'm certainly not going to complain that uh, that it that it was used to to rule out the goal on uh, on uh, on Saturday. So, yeah, I think it's a. 
I do understand why some fans are annoyed about it because I think they, for them, it's about being wrapped up in the emotion of the game and it, it takes a little bit away from that, I would say. Mm. It, there was a big talking point in the team selection for Chelsea, not necessarily in the starting lineup, but Tammy Abraham didn't even make the bench. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, Jordan, but I think that Abraham's been linked a little bit, hasn't he, to, to, to Leicester even. you know, do, do you think he'd be a good fit at Leicester? I, I must say on Abraham, it's, it's a strange one because he's clearly a very, very talented player and scored lots of goals. And so I guess to that end, I'm surprised that he wasn't on the bench. But I suppose you can only have too many, you know, so many strikers and consistently Giroud's got the nod over him as a sort of an emergency substitute. He's been quite reliable from the bench. But, you know, so I feel sympathy for Abraham. But it brings me back to the point, well, if a manager doesn't fancy a player, he doesn't fancy a player. What I mean, what can you do? And he clear, you know, Tuchel clearly doesn't think Abraham is, you know, is of the quality of the or of the player that he needs to move forward. And I, I just think Abraham will go somewhere else and shine. Not necessarily always at a top four club, but I just think that basically he's going to go to a very good Premier League team and score some goals. At some point, are going to embarrass Chelsea to a degree because if a manager doesn't fancy. <laughs> There's no point in pretending, is there? You know, where, where do, do you think Leicester's interest is still there? Do you think it? You know, do you think it's a possibility in any way? I think certainly in terms of Leicester looking at a striker, I think Abraham would be one that they would be interested in because he is so good. I think he. I, I totally agree with you. I think wherever he goes, and I, I probably would expect him to 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 go on, to move on this summer. Uh, I think he will score goals regularly. I think for for him in terms of maybe whether he would consider Leicester, I think he would be coming in as one of three strikers uh, in terms of Vardy still in the contract and Ian is playing very well and he's just signed a new contract. Um, so there would, there would have to be that to weigh up. Whereas I think he could probably go to a team maybe just a little bit lower than Leicester and be the number one striker. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's difficult because it, from Chelsea's point of view, because Clearly, he's very good, but as you say, if the if the manager doesn't quite think he's as good as the the other striking options, and it's not like they've not got decent striking options ahead of him, as you say, Giroud's been very reliable. Uh, Werner was the, the the big money signing last summer. Um, I think if he, if he finally you know if he gets to a point where he can produce the form he showed in Germany, then he's going to be extremely good as well. So I, th- I think it's it is a difficult um, balance to strike, but I think he would be. Um, he would certainly be a, a player that Leicester would be interested in, and maybe whether the uh, the financial situation around it, and whether Chelsea would consider selling him to a you know, what essentially is a direct rival now, that would be interesting. Um, I think they're, they're probably looking a little bit at, at Odson Edouard as well, the the Celtic striker who obviously Rogers has worked with before. Mm. Uh, it's coming into the final year of his contract now, so he'd probably be a little bit cheaper. Um, so I think yes, I think he. he He's definitely going to be. He's definitely going to be on Leicester's radar, but I think he would be on the radar of pretty much every club uh, in the country if they feel they can afford him. Yeah, just a couple more. I uh, just think that, that sort of Brendan Rodgers in winning the FA Cup probably puts himself back in the shop window a little bit. I mean, Leicester's such a well-run club, as we mentioned before. Good recruitment, fabulous stadium, brilliant fans. I mean, he's adored by the fans. Clearly arguably the best owners in the country. Um, you know, wonderful new training ground. Do you have any doubts about about Rogers in the in the long term? Because I find it hard to believe that he'd go anywhere this summer, would he? But do you think do you think there's any doubt over him in the, in the long term, or is he, you know, can you see him staying for 
for a decade? Is he one of those managers? I don't see him staying for a decade, no. I think um, certainly a few years. I think he is... I think he's very happy where he is and I think he is a he's a big believer in the project that he has and I think he can see how he can fulfill his ambition at Leicester uh with the resources available to him um you know with the playing squad and how you know his relationship with the with the owners and the, uh, the chief executive and things like that but I think eventually he will um move on I think I think it's an ambition of his to work abroad at some point um I know he. I know he speaks Spanish. We're certainly learning Spanish. I think maybe um, a job in in Spain at some point wouldn't necessarily be a surprise. I think he said he would quite like to consider uh, international management at some point. So I, I, I don't see him. I don't see it being a, like a Rogers dynasty um, at Leicester in the you, the type of thing that you saw with Ferguson at United and Wenger at, at Arsenal. I don't see it being like that. But I think certainly for the next few years. Um, I think he will stay at Leicester because he knows he can achieve uh, here. And also, I don't think that the... Certainly, he's not going to end up going back to Liverpool um, because of his Liverpool connections. It's hard to see him going to United. He's not going to go back to Chelsea. And I don't really see... And it's only really Manchester City that, you know, if, the, if they ever you know, think beyond uh, Guardiola. Um so in terms of the options for him, because I, 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 now Leicester at this level, I wouldn't see him moving to Arsenal or Spurs. So I think there's only a, there's a limited a number of clubs that he could move up to um, in England. So I think when he eventually does move on from Leicester, I think it probably would be in a in a few years' time. I think he may consider um, a management abroad because he, he, w- he would want to test himself as well. I don't think he's a manager that um, is happy to kind of coast along. I think he would want to to go into an environment where he might be able to to test himself. Just finally, uh, uh, the, the there's obviously a rematch at Stamford Bridge tomorrow. Um, you know, looking at it, Leicester probably would argue that a point would be enough for them, wouldn't they? I think in in the kind of the context of it, Chelsea clearly need the win because Liverpool breathing down the necks. You know, it's now bizarre that you can have it's in the you know. Three teams have got it all in their own hands for two places. How does that work mathematically? But it's true, isn't it? And then basically one aspect is that, you know, Leicester can probably get away with a draw. Chelsea need to win the game. How do you how do you see it going? Because surely Chelsea would be fired up for that. But Leicester, have they got a sort of a kind of an edge because they don't need to go out and actually chase the game as such? See, I, I worry with Leicester whether that is a good thing. I, I don't think mm. um, sitting back on a and defending a, a draw would be would be quite right for them. I think we saw um, that uh, you know at, at Wembley on Saturday. I think when Leicester did get into the lead and they did, um, you know, and they were defending it, they did drop a little bit deeper and they ended up needing two excellent saves from their goalkeeper and uh, and VAR to rule out a goal. So I think. I think Leicester needs to play for the win. I think they obviously, if Leicester do win, that would seal it for them, and then there would be the pressure off the game against Spurs uh, on the last day of the season. But I think they, I do think they would be happy with the point because I think they would back themselves to then beat Tottenham on the um, on the last day. Uh, I think the the scenario that nobody wants is to to lose to Chelsea and then. Um, having to beat Spurs on the last day and then it's going to come down to goal difference probably between Leicester and Liverpool, uh, which, you know, you don't really want to shoot at because I think Liverpool have got Crystal Palace on the last day and I think you'd probably back them to score more against Palace than you would Leicester against Spurs. So, 
Uh, it's it's really difficult, and it's, it would be a, it would be a real shame for Leicester if they were to miss out because I think like unlike last season where their form did actually drop drop off, that it's not really happened this season. They've they've maintained a consistent level. They've contained. Uh, they've sustained a, a kind of a, a top six level over the, the the course of the second half of the season. It's just that Chelsea have obviously done really well since Tuchel took took charge. Uh, Liverpool are obviously having a bit of a resurgence now. So Leicester have already got four more points than they had uh, at this date. Um, they had at the end of last season, uh, and they've got two games to improve on that. So yeah, it would be it would be a blow if they didn't manage to get it now. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's um, it's certainly going to be an exciting game uh, mm. tomorrow. Fans. Uh, Probably, you know, probably not. That's a no. <laughs> no, I, probably not. I think, I think the it's the sort of game where I think I think Tuchel said that the, whoever won at Wembley would have the upper hand in the second game. I, mm. I probably didn't quite agree with him. I would probably would have said I could see both teams winning one each. Uh, and mm. given Leicester have got the FA Cup in their trophy cabinet now, I think maybe it's um, I think maybe Chelsea will respond and and, and get the victory. But uh, yeah, I think at least. At least for Leicester, they they know that a draw is uh, a positive result. Whereas previously, um, um, maybe if they'd not beaten United last week, then a draw would have been, you know, pretty much left them out of it. So I think that's maybe they can take some some heart in that and you know maybe battle to a point. Brilliant, Jordan. Thanks so much for joining nice us. Job. Really nice, nice to look back on the final with you and also to, to tomorrow night's game. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Thanks for the chat. <laughs>